Hello, and thanks for tuning in to another Fisher Investments Market Insights podcast, where we discuss our firm's latest thinking on global capital markets and current events. I'm Naj Srinivas, Group Vice President here at the firm, and today I'm joined by Executive Chairman and Co-Chief Investment Officer of Fisher Investments, Ken Fisher. Hey, Naj, how are we doing? Great, Ken. Thanks for being here with us today. Ken, you've written and spoken extensively about this, and that's one of the many things I've learned from you, but it's that to really be a successful investor, you've either got to know something other people don't, or if you've, got to, you've got to interpret widely known information slightly differently. And your recent USA Today column, I think, was a perfect example of that. You referred to a study where USA Today showed the profiles of all the 50 states in terms of demographics and economics, and you cross, cross-referenced that data with which party is in control of state legislatures. What did you find? Well, a simple fact is that our culture has said that in politics, the Democratic Party is the party of the poor and the Republican Party is the party of the rich, and that's the way media always portrays that. But in fact, in reality, if you look at states ranked by income per capita, uh, it's overwhelmingly clear that the Republican Party is the party of the poor and the Democratic Party is the party of the rich as measured by uh, which states are which. Now, it becomes even more clear, which I couldn't do in that column, uh, although I sort of cited to it, that if you go back over the last four decades doing the same thing, uh, the trend is even more clear, that if you went back 40 years ago, there are a lot of poor states then which remain poor, regardless of which geographic section of the country they come from, which have since flipped over to become from what was once the Democratic Party owning the poor vote to the Republican Party owning the poor vote. And the reason people don't see this, in in politics, one of the tremendous difficulties people have, and a lot of this is, to me, actually unimportant, but one of the tremendous difficulties people have is they get a mindset in their view about ideology and they think that's what's important, of which I really don't care about ideology. The reality is that our system of government is constructed a certain way. And that way is one that's embedded in the Constitution and is virtually impossible to change. And it's those smaller and poorer states that as we sit today have almost complete control over what will happen with things like how the Electoral College goes, with how the makeup of the Senate will go. And so many people you see get excited about um, things like Donald Trump winning the presidency when he lost the national popular vote by 3%. And the reality is that's because it's not about the popular vote. It's about the Electoral College. That's what's in the Constitution. The Constitution isn't going to change. We can talk about that. But all of this comes down to what happens with those poorer states in the elections we have now and in 2020. And what does that tell you about what may or may not happen about legislation that affects economics and money moving forward. That's what it's all about. It's all about those states having the swing power 
over economics and money as it is translated into governmental policy and laws uh, over the next few years. And that's why this election is going to be an interesting one to see because no one, and I mean no one in national media, pays much of any attention to what goes on with state legislatures. And it's at the state legislature level that you can see broken down into districts where the rich are and where the poor are and how they vote. It's abundantly clear. Now, I want to go back and say something that I said in the column. We, we hang on to the mythology nationally that the Democratic Party is the party of the poor because it remains true in the urban centers. And media is embedded in the urban centers. Media sees what it lives in and what it reports. And so what it sees, lives in, and reports is that the Democratic Party is the party of the poor. That is true in pretty much every major city, big city in America. Once you move away from the big cities, it fades fast. And what is always missed in that view is how big the non non-urban, non-city center America world is. So the mythology was actually once true. You, Absolutely. You once had the Republicans being the party of the rich and the Democrats as the party of the poor, but that trend started to shift. When did that start to shift and why? Uh, it's been an irregular movement that started about 1980. If you go back to 1980, you get all of these states. We can see the South where the Dixiecrat world and the blue dog Democrats shifted over to be Republican. But we also have states like Michigan, Wisconsin, a, a state like Nevada that used to be poor Democratic state that's today a split state. It's not a pure Republican. It's not a pure Democrat, but it's not a pure Democrat anymore. All of the South, but then also these other states scattered around the North and the Midwest and Oklahoma that used to be a solidly Democratic poor state is today a solidly Republican state. The shift goes, of course the elections are every two years, the shift goes irregularly over time, but it runs starting in the 1980s, continues off and on through the Clinton years in the 90s, uh, then progresses on through the George W. Bush years, then again through the Obama years. And the key question is, has it now gone too far? Does it swing the other way? Because fundamentally, and people just miss this in the way our Constitution works, Wyoming, as this population-wise tiny state, gets just as many senators as California does, and they have just as much power. And there's no way in the law, when you think it through, which people don't, in fact, there's a big movement uh, a year or two ago to try to put an initiative on the ballot in California to split it into three states. Now, uh, you know, I'm somewhat known for saying, die and go to hell, die and go to hell, die and go to hell, but that'll happen after everybody dies and goes to hell. Because fundamentally, you got to get those other states to agree to creating a new state. A state just can't do it on its own. That was embedded in the Constitution to protect the smaller states. And we all have the potential to migrate to any state we want to migrate to. 
we don't have to stay where we are. We can go from a little one to a big one or a big one to a little one. But the, the feature is that the power was there to protect the small states so the big states couldn't gang up on them. And that's that part where when you see those smaller population, poorer states, they get those Senate seats. They get their own electoral college votes, which are redistricted over time every decade. But the fact of the matter is, you tell me what the state legislatures are going to look like, and I'll tell you what the electoral college is going to vote. So that state level change actually trickles up to the electoral college at the national level. If you think about it otherwise, it is the articulation of what used to be referred to as grassroots. It's the bottom of the American political pyramid in most of America. And that legislature world, which is, again, solidly democratic in city centers, is when you move out into more rural American people do accept this generally, more red, but the part that they don't get is that the poorer you get, the faster it happens. So you get these poor states with low income per capita, and today, whereas they used to be overwhelmingly Democratic 40 years ago, today they're overwhelmingly Republican. And this 2018 election, which has a lot of blue wave quality at the top, it will be interesting to see if that blue wave quality carries over into the bottom, if it's just the top of the pyramid function or if it's also across the board. Now, l let me give Michigan as an example. Michigan is a state that I wrote about in, in my July 2016 Financial Times uh, column where I talked at length about how it as a state, which had voted Democratic for president five times in a row, had evolved over those five times into a state where both legislatures were uh, both chambers of the legislature were Republican. In that process, it becomes a state that Donald Trump wins. Not by a lot, but he wins. That shouldn't be surprising. At the bottom, its legislature is solidly Republican. That feature of it is the way you would look at it because for the most part, when people vote at the legislative level, they're voting less about the nuances that they read about Hillary this, Donald Trump that. That, that, that. that stuff doesn't get carried away. It's much more to them cut and dry, black and white, people they know, stuff they believe in. And that tells you more about what America is. So, so when you think of economic policies from here, how much the so-called blue wave at the congressional level sweeps down into the legislature tells you an awful lot if there's a movement there about how that would make the Electoral College look different in 2020, which will be very important one way or the other. And what, then what kind of economic and social policies we see coming out of a government starting in three years, which markets will start to pre-price uh, probably next year. So Ken, how do investors use this information for themselves? How do they take this and apply it? So they first need to strip themselves of their own natural bias in favor of their own ideologies. Because if you are inherently core Republican, you think Democrats are bad, vice versa. Inherently Democrat, think Republicans are bad. And you're hung up on that, it's going to always hurt you with markets. Always, always, always. If you look instead at the National Conference of State Legislatures websites, National Conference of State Legislatures websites, you can track the states. You can actually go back and build a history yourself if you want. 
But if you see seven of the poorer states in this, seven of the poorer Republican states net swing their legislatures from Republican to Democrat in the 2018 midterm elections, if you see that, then you'll see a world after that where 50% popular vote will equal 50% electoral college vote. If instead you see less than that, it's still tilted for the Republican to have an advantage relative to the popular vote. What will happen? I don't know. I don't have a prediction. I want to reiterate. Pollsters don't poll for this stuff. Media doesn't talk about this stuff. That's one of the reasons it's a fertile field to look into. But I'll be able to tell you literally next month the core bias of the Electoral College in 2020 and the bias as it relates to 2020 senatorial elections that are from the bottom up in those states, however it turns out, which again, I want to reiterate, I don't have a clue how it turns out. It's not to make a prediction about politics that's right. It's to use the outcome of politics and something that nobody looks at to see something that nobody can see. So if people are looking for a blue wave or they're looking for Republicans to maintain control going into, say, 2020, you have to look to the state legislatures post-2018 midterms to understand what's really happening, what the bias is going to be for that next election in 2020. Yes. Let me just say the same thing again differently. If, which is an if, I don't have a view, if the state legislatures didn't change at all, and Donald Trump was the Republican nominee, and of course I don't have a clue who the Democratic Party nominee would be, and Donald Trump then lost a popular vote by 4%, he'd get reelected. Ken, do we see this phenomenon anywhere else in the world, other countries, this idea of this rural versus urban, the poor versus the rich, and the bottom-up controlling the national politics level? When you look outside of America, you've got uh, quite varied political landscapes in the Western developed world. And it's a little bit all over the board. Uh, clearly, the Brexit vote was a rural versus urban vote. Clearly, you get that in some places like Italy. Uh, on the other hand, the fact is that you don't have this consistency that you see in America of a political structure with a hierarchy from the bottom up, the state legislatures building up through all the way to a presidency embedded in a constitution that's got a lot of, uh, if you'll accept the phrase, structural rigidity built into it intentionally by the framers of the constitution so you couldn't uh, whipsaw the government around too much. And the fact is, and, and people forget this, that our government is a longer-standing government than almost any government in the world. Not any government in the world, but almost any government in the world, and all of the ones on the continent of Europe. The fact is our government is this long, steady state, and so that part that's the bottom-up legislative feature is so inconsistent in the other countries that there isn't a nice, ready tool that works across all of them the way there is for our legislature in this country. But it's a big world. Things are different. Ken, why have so many people missed this trend? For the most part in politics, people don't learn. Uh, we don't have a world like we do with markets where you make a bet, you're right, you're wrong, it's measurable, then there's the next bet, you're right, you're wrong, you're measurable. Uh, 
politics is a world where people don't much change their views. They are very hung up on their views, and they tend to see things through the framework of their own views, good, bad, what they see as right or wrong, and they tend to have so much conf- what a behavioralist would call confirmation bias built into their own political and social and ideological views that they can't actually see evidence in front of them very well at all. So, for example, a normal thing would be to look at the statement that I would make, which would say the Republican Party is the party of the poor, the Democratic Party is the party of the rich, and the reaction is either to say something like, ah, well, I'm a Republican and that's good, or I'm a Republican and that's bad, or I'm the same Democrat and that's good or bad, as opposed to seeing it as a prescriptive framework for seeing what might happen ahead in elections and how that might impact economic, social, and monetary policy that would impact markets moving forward. They they can't analyze it because they're too hung up typically on their own biases of right, wrong, liberal, conservative, good, bad, all of those things, which in my opinion, and I've written about this for decades now, always hurt you when you want to do market analysis. Ken, anything else you want to share with our listeners today? No, I I just really want to reiterate the point that American politics is really a grassroots bottom-up activity. It's not a big city, media-driven, top-down activity. It's impacted by that, but it's that other part that the anchor is. And it's looking at that other part that really tells you where the bias is going into the next elections. And those next elections always, regardless of what your ideology is, will have big impacts on uh, social and economic and monetary features moving forward through legislation and otherwise. And therefore, the state legislative elections are really the most important thing to watch in this election, more so than the uh, more common media focus on potential shifts in the House of Representatives. Ken, thank you so much for spending some time with us today and our listeners. And to all of you, thank you so much for tuning in. For more, please visit marketminder.com. And if you want to hear more or read more of Ken's insights, I invite you to follow him and his 250,000 other followers on Twitter. You can follow him at at Kenneth L. Fisher. Thanks so much. Investing in securities involves the risk of loss. Past performance is no guarantee of future returns. The content of this podcast represents the opinions and viewpoints of Fisher Investments and should not be regarded as personal investment advice. No assurances are made we will continue to hold these views, which may change at any time based on new information, analysis, or reconsideration. Copyright Fisher Investments 2018.